Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, brought to you by Women in Data. My name is Sadie St. Lawrence, and it's my pleasure to be your host for these weekly interviews where we share inspiring stories, thought leaderships, and discussions to help you excel in your data career. At Women in Data, our mission is to increase diversity in data careers, and we do this through awareness, education, and empowerment. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Lauren Hines. Lauren is the president of What If Why, a coaching and analytics company focused on tackling persistent problems. With over 15 years experience leading teams and applying big data towards business operations, financial growth, product development, she is an expert at inquiry, connecting the dots, and seeing the trends. Today, Lauren and I chat about common mistakes analysts make in their analysis and how to avoid them through understanding the nuts and bolts of the business operations, building relationships, and getting curious to ask the right question. Lauren has an amazing ability to make complex problems simple, and I know listening to this episode will help you take your analysis to the next level. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks for having me. I have been looking forward to this conversation because when we first met, I, I'm always like, I wish we just would have recorded the conversation initially because there was so much that you said that I was like, yes, okay, we have to have you on the podcast to talk more about this because you are speaking my language with analysis and the way you view the world, right? So I'm, I'm excited to dive into some of these topics, but for myself and for the audience, I'd love to get into your background a little bit of just like, how did you fall in love with data and analysis and when, was there an aha moment when you're like, yes, this is like the field for me and where I belong? You know, it's funny because I did have that aha moment, but it was um, it was back in high school before this was even an industry to go after. Um, I, I went to a, a take your child work day in high school, but with my mom's friend who was... Um, at working at Macy's, and I got a copy of uh, the Tobey Report, which is basically uh, a market trends and forecasting for the year for the big retail um, department stores, and just loved it. Um, but then I had to figure out, like, how you kind of go about that. And so I followed data practically in every which possible industry job title you could um, happen until now it's finally like a thing that you can just (laughs) that can be it so I was always analytics and something else Um, but I've always loved applying um, math to the real world really I'm so glad you share that you were inspired by Take Your Child to Work Day because I've been at companies where they've done this and I think it's great. Like I think it's such it's such a such a fun experience when the kids came in to work that day, like the whole walls we had, you know, in IT you have a lot of whiteboards and chalkboards and whatnot. And you could tell when it was Take Your Kid to Work Day because it was like graffitied with art like that day, right? It was a beautiful <laughs> thing. And it's exciting to hear somebody who had that experience and is what inspired them to get into this field. So like a little plug for any leaders out there that continue to have take your kids to work day because you never know who you may be inspiring to find their career path. Um, But you mentioned something in regards to 
you had a, you fell in love with data analytics before it's called data analytics and all the titles that we have within the data science space. What were some of those initial, like I'm air quoting right now, like quote unquote titles that you tried or what it was called before it's been standardized to what it is today? Oh yeah. Um, well, I, um, I think technically the first one you could get into was educational research. Um, then I did online marketing because really that's all numbers. Um, there is a little bit of creative, like using your words. How do you, how do you, you know, get something in 25 characters, but otherwise it's all numbers and optimization. Um, went into continuing marketing consulting, um, went into market research, then, uh, then didn't go into an actual like career with an analyst title until after I got my MBA. And that started in um, marketing as a marketing analyst. But then it was, um, I managed the finance department and the marketing department, or I was head of strategy and finance. <laughs> um, I even got to uh, strategy and operations, overseeing that, or um, product management, um, being the you know being the business owner for product management. Um, so all of those, in all of those roles, I always had one team of analysts reporting to me, um, but then also doing something else because there wasn't just that one. That wasn't a department. That wasn't a, a team that you could kind of call on its own. So you've got to work in many different business functions, right? From marketing, from finance, strategy. Having that yes. experience, do you feel that that has changed the way you approach analytics problems? The fact that you've got to sit maybe within so many different verticals of the business? Absolutely. Um, and it was something that I realized really over the last few years um, as, as I finally, you know, was on solely in analytics, I was able to shed the other hats and just focus in on analytics and, um, and lead it team. One of the, one of the things that I, I realized is I innately knew what, you know, online marketing was like, I, I knew what all, you know, what the best, um, how you, how you did everything, you know, the best strategies for it, what it meant, how you, you know, what the rules were. Um, and having that made me understand the data in a way that somebody who has not owned or been through any of those um, could. You know, I, I knew what certain data points were gonna be really instrumental in solving a business problem because I knew what all those stages were. Um, and in realizing that I actually, uh, I made it a project for my analysts. Um, one, we went through, um, I was working at LendingTree, so we have all online, you know, business models. And I, I taught them the whole business model. Um, and then they had to teach somebody else. And teaching somebody else really shows you where the gaps lie. Um, but then we also had, we had um, 
when you when you think about companies, small or big, you have experts across the whole company. And rather than trying to figure out, um, you know, for, for writing a report for, you know, an online report, is rather than trying to figure out how to format it in a way that will be really easy to use, I realize I should just invite the SEO, you know, website development team to show us what's the best, like, what do you do? How do you, what's, what do they do? It's the same, it's the same um, rules. Um, and I found that people across the business love to share what they do, love to share their expertise. Um, and so that's what really helped um, our team of analysts. We were a centralized uh, department, so really understand the ins and outs of, um, of the business, which then helped them ask better questions, which then helps them create better, you know, data and stories so that the decision makers can make smarter decisions easier. So we hear this a lot in analytics that like you have to understand the business, you have to understand, like you have to identify the business problem properly. Like that's the first step. It gets repeated over and over again, but so often we still miss this step or I feel like it's yeah. kind of like this mythical step of like, what does like <laughs> understanding the business mean, right? So you mentioned you took your analysts through the whole business model. Is there like a framework or can you pull like the curtain behind like what understanding the business really means? Because we talk about it so much, but yet we still struggle with this. So what does like understanding the business mean and how do we get to like what the true business model is? Yeah. Um, and it's a lot. Like, honestly, you know, most businesses are very complex. Even like the very most basic businesses, there is so much complexity there, um, which is why analytics is such a growing field and why, and the data collection, you know, we just have so much data. Um, so I recommend doing it at, you know, starting at a granular level. What are you working on just today? And when we talk about understanding the business, it's not like, you know, for, let's say, cereal. It's we make cereal. That's not, that's not what the business. The, the business model is we buy grains from this source, and then we transport them on a truck over here to the factory, you know. And then you go through each step of the process. Um, online marketing you get a consumer to a website, how? Maybe they searched on Google and then they clicked an ad. So it's the consumer typed in this keyword, they saw your ad at position X, they clicked on that ad, they were taken to this specific page, at which point, you know, and then you keep going through until hopefully they, you know, made, made the company money. Um, but if they didn't, then why? Where did they fall off? Where, what parts, where's the rub? We have, what's great is we have all of that in data. Um, but if you imagine all of those different steps for any of those, you know, for any of those business models, um, there's probably 20 pieces of data saved for each one of those steps, if not more. Even in like the most old, you know, fashion, 
outside of the internet data conscious companies. So it is literally a step-by-step -step operational, you know, did the consumer type in something or did they select a, from a dropdown? Those are the types of, you know, things. What did they see? Like literally go through it yourself. Um, and um, that's, it's like the nuts and bolts. It's not pretty. <laughs> it's um, definitely not high level, um, but, we, uh, sorry, just got an error. Um, we, we have that, uh, that, that's the knowledge that you need so that you really understand what that data represents. So it sounds like to me, don't start with the whole business because businesses are complex. Start with an area you're working on. And in this example, let's say you're, I love the cereal company idea, right? And you're working on the supply chain for the cereal company that you're a part of. And you really just start by possibly diagramming out these business processes and then seeing where data is associated with it and continue to iterate and ask the right questions all at the same time having interviews with people in the business. Is that fair to say? And like, what role does talking to people in the business play within your analysis as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's there's a couple of keys. One is I highly, highly recommend finding, building relationships with people across the whole organization um, in completely different units. Um, your, your analysis, um, you know, oftentimes I, I tell people a data point is, a fact. A collection of data points can create many, many different truthful and honest stories. You need those relationships to understand what story is going to help the business. Because if, you know, if we're looking at how do we grow revenue and you're looking at a way to cut cost, it might be very valuable, but they don't care. They're, that's going to be like, okay, great, thanks, and then throw it away. Um, so, so building those relationships and you can start really simply, you know, with, with the one project you're working on or the one area of the business. Um, it can be scary, especially for, you know, introverts going out there and reaching out to people one-on-one -on -one for sure. Um, so do it in the way that feels most, com you know, comfortable, whether if you're in the office, you know. Just kind of ask, you know, put, see if you could put a 15-minute informal, you know, just informational interview on their calendar. Um, most people are pretty are pretty open to that type of stuff. Um, but then, uh, when you get the when you get a request, because you know, oftentimes we get requests, is ask the person what they're going to do with this information. They might be asking for how many cereal boxes did we, you know. Um, deliver in a day. And you could give them that information and be like, okay, well, great. But what are they going to do with it next? Are they using that to see if they can grow, if they're falling behind? And if you get the how are they going to use that data, then you can provide a much more rich analysis than just giving them one, one static number. Um, and then the third piece is, and I might have already done more than three, but the third piece is questions are always amazing. 
don't like as analysts we're supposed to we feel like we're supposed to have the answers don't get lost in like i'm supposed to have the answers so i'm going to make assumption of what they think no like get it like hard cold facts of how are they going to use it what do they want what is it from point a to point b why would that not be <laughs> why would that look weird or not you know um assumptions just totally trip us up all all the time all day long i think that's all of them yeah i couldn't agree with you more in terms <laughs> there's i think that's enough for us to chew on at least for now in terms of <laughs> topics to come away with because that's a lot i mean thinking about just building relationships with people those take thoughtfulness and time and it's not a matter too of just having one meeting with them it's maintaining that and then changing our mindset as you mentioned in terms of you know what story will help the business and how will this how will they use this information right i think if we could just start with those two things i mean it will probably be a game changer in our analysis just those two things overall um so today you coach and mentor and lead a lot of analysts, not only in your work at Lending Tree, but also you do business coaching as well. So do you see common mistakes that analysts continue to make over and over? And are these different from starting off as an analyst, one to two years experience to, you know, senior data analyst with five to 10 years experience? Um, no, they're, they're always the same mistakes. <laughs> I can say that one. Um, and it goes to what we were just talking about about the business model is not understanding what that what that data represents or what it means. So the really nice thing is if you if you wanted to come away with one or two things that you can do to impact how great of an analyst you are today, it would be, understand the nuts and the bolts, the step-by-step -step minutia of how the business operates. And then find people, find one person that is on a different part of the business. Maybe it's a product manager, maybe it's a sales manager, maybe it's a marketing manager. Maybe you've seen them in one meeting <laughs> before. Um, and ask them to show you their world. What do they do on a day-to-day -day basis? What, what processes do they follow? What's, um, what's the hardest thing about their job? What, what do they wish could be made easier? Um, if you do those two things, you'll be, you'll be starting on the right um, path. And then remember them. I'm, yeah, and don't forget them and repeat, right? I, I yeah. love it when I have different guests on the show and they say similar things because I uh, had a guest, uh, Helen Merck, who created a platform to connect people. And she was all about finding the perfect question to build connection. And they narrowed it down to instead of, hi, how are you, of what's going on in your world. And so I love the fact that you shared within this example for analysts to ask them 
find one person to show you their world, right? So I think that's such a great example. Um, it's a perfect question. There's research behind why it's a good question. You have, I'm sure, research and examples in terms of why this is a, a proven method to do as an analyst. Um, but I think it's just such a good reminder for us that to get outside of our own world and how often, even more importantly, as people who work with data, to get outside of our world so that we aren't encoding that bias into our analysis or missing those insights that we can't see because we're stuck in our own world. Absolutely. And I mean, and especially for analysts, I mean, we are deep diving into, you know, the nitty gritty of every like granular piece of data point that you can have. It is so easy to just get completely into your like, you know, digging your tunnel, trying to find those answers and forget to come up and look around. And um, does this matter? <laughs> Maybe? Probably not. Okay, we gotta move on, you know. Um, <laughs> it's really, really hard. So if anybody is having a challenge with it, you are in good company. Every single analyst, every single data scientist, engineer, everybody who is dealing with the minutia of data is right there in you, in there with there with you. And um, and you just it, it requires some discipline. Um, but once you get in the habit of it, it becomes easier and easier for sure. For sure. And one of the things that stands out with the two tips you shared with understanding the nuts and bolts of how the business operates and then finding one person in the business to show you their world. What I noticed is neither of these two top tips are quote unquote technical tips, right? And I think there's a long <laughs> debate within our industry of like, what's more important, these hard skills and soft skills and like we see hard skills get promoted, like go get this certification and learn this tool. And people always feel behind in terms of the tooling. But are we focusing on the wrong thing in terms of hard skills versus soft skills? And do you have an opinion on which one's more important within a career in data? Yeah, um, they're, they're both important. Um, I was trying to think about this because I honestly don't like the idea of hard and soft skills. It's like, they, they seem just by the hard and soft, it seems like we're putting we're putting a priority and a weight on one over the other. Um, and an analogy I came up with is hard skills are kind of like when you think about baking, hard skills are kind of like the ingredients. You you need to have a certain amount of them. You can sometimes replace them with each other, but you have to have you have to have some of the ingredients to be able to bake a cake. But the soft skills are creating the recipe. And ingredients are not, I mean, yeah, maybe you could put some like, you know, flour and water together. But if you don't know how to create that recipe, then you're going to, it's going to land flat. You're not going to be effective as an analyst, as a data scientist, as someone who's building, you know, AI. The like, the the analysis, the results are only as good as the questions and that recipe that you're creating. And we teach those hard skills like everybody gets a recipe to follow. But really the job of an analyst is to create the recipe um, using, you know, and probably like six recipes, right? Of how many, you have a one set of ingredients. How do you make, you know, a whole bunch of recipes using the exact same ingredients? Um, 
And so while you can be an analyst, technically, um, without the soft skills, you will probably, you find a lot of frustration because a lot of that work will be throwaway. A lot of that will be people not feeling heard. And so they will not be wanting to work with you as much. Um, it just kind of, it falls flat. To be a great analyst, soft skills are 100% required. And it's a lot harder to so teach. So I love the framework that you, yeah, well, let's get into that in the second part of it, because you're, you're asking us to look at this now, not from a like this or that, right? Hard versus soft or one versus the other. It's like, hey, if you want to be a great analyst, it's both, right? It's both hard. It's it's both soft skills. But you at the end here, you're mentioning that one is much harder to teach, which may we also say it's much harder to learn. And if so, how do we how do we teach and learn the harder skill, which is the soft skills? Yeah, well, and it's harder to teach because a lot of people who fall into this field naturally are inclined for the hard skills. So you're not gonna you're not gonna choose to be an analyst or be looking at data if you hate looking at numbers. That's like you're probably gonna avoid that at at a pretty high cost. Um so and and the hard skills are easier to teach because we're already naturally inclined to to do that. Once you learn one language, just like you know, a a verbal language, you know, French, Italian, Spanish, once you learn one. The second one's easier, and the third one, and the fourth one, and the fifth one, especially when they're in the same, you know, they say French, Italian, and Spanish. Once you know one, they're much easier to learn after each other because they're all the Romance languages, or, you know, you could do the Germanic. Coding, you know, querying, all of those types of languages are pretty, are pretty similar. So once you know one, it's pretty easy to learn. It's pretty easy to learn the others. Um, but learning a mindset of curiosity and business oftentimes is people don't think about whether they are, you know, that is a natural instinct for them as well. So oftentimes I actually look for people who ha already have the, who are showing the, those soft skills, and I'm going to put those in quotes, um, you know, who have the business experience. Um, that could be that could be in retail. That doesn't even have to be, you know, in a sit down at your desk job. Um, somebody who has a social science degree, um, that where they've had to study, you know, culture, society, brains, anything of those sorts. Um, but then who have an inclination towards the analytics and the math and have that kind of brain because um, if you need both, and it's just that it's much easier to know that you're, you know, you're inclined towards towards a math or, you know, an engineering type degree. Um, those are very obvious. There's plenty of people in social sciences who are not <laughs> inclined to that, and they don't even necessarily think about it because, you know, maybe math didn't really resonate. That's um, one of the things we found uh, when I was my first um, as a marketing manager doing 
um, SEM, so all online marketing, it's all, it's all math. Literally, it's all math. We found out that, you know, we are literally in a marketing company and all of us scored like 100, 200 points higher on our math SATs than our verbal. So we didn't even think about it. We weren't going for a math career or, you know, in that realm, but we are, we did have, that was one of our strengths. Um, so that's why it's, it's harder. You have to have an interest in business operations or in people or in why that data is getting, how, what that data represents is all social, you know, um, whether it's who created it or who, um, like if a consumer or like an engineer who decided that, yes, those are the things we need to keep. So if you were to summarize for technical people, so ones who are more inclined on the math side, but they want to round themselves out on the soft skill sides, what's one thing that they can do, whether it's a mindset shift or daily practice, start to build up some of those soft skills you know it goes back to those to those two things actually is um build a relationship with one person on um if they're more technical then i'd say maybe not one of the engineers um potentially potentially maybe one of the product uh, somebody in product um, but definitely a marketing manager or a sales manager who is aligned with what they're working on. Um, and, and again, learn about their world. Uh, ask lots and lots of questions. Um, because it's, it's not, um, as we say in coaching sometimes with life coaching, woo-woo. It's not like woo-woo stuff. It's very... It's very logical. It's very structured. This isn't something that's like an impossible kind of um, position, but it, we're, it's facts. It's, it's facts. It's logical. Um, but build that relationship. Pick, pick one person and, and understand it really well. Um, and, then, and then ask what, you know, when a project gets created is how are they going to use whatever I'm being asked to build or analyze, you know, what's, how is that going to be applied in the business? How is the decision maker going to use this information that I'm giving him, whether it's a one-time analysis or a report? Um, and, and then, and, and let that, you know, kind of help dictate what it is. It's not really, too I can agree and I can also I can also back you on that it's not woo-woo either. <laughs> it's because <laughs> when I started my career, I was thrown into the marketing department and I was so mad. I thought marketing people, and this was how naive I was, was woo-woo. And I was like, I'm an analyst. Like I want to be with the technical people. And now in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me because I was immersed in the business. I was immersed in the problems they were trying to solve. I was able to easily build relationships with individuals within the marketing department. And I didn't lose any of my technical skills, right? I was still bringing in my technical skills. And I have to say in hindsight, 
being so closely connected with the business and having those relationships allowed me to do things as an analyst that, you know, counterparts who were on a technical team and closed off from the business didn't get. So I'm yes backing you. This is not a woo-woo thing. This is 100% works time and time again. Do it. I accidentally did it and feel very lucky that that happened to me. But yes, it sounds simple, but it works. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. Absolutely. And, you know, depending on... Um, depending on like, if you aren't with a business team, if you are in a central, you know, surrounded by the technical folk, um, one thing that I used to do for my teams and I would highly encourage people to request for their managers or directors to do is ask them to bring in, you know, somebody maybe once a month from a different part of the business and, you know, and talk about things we had. We had our, um, one of our sales managers come in and give a presentation about how she, you know, does a presentation to clients. It's really helpful when you're learning how to figure out how to tell people about your analysis. You know, just like it's a way to get to know people. If you don't have any idea who that one person should be, you know, you can kind of get introduced and like, oh, I kind of like that person. Maybe, maybe that would be a good person. Um, without having to go at it on your own. Um, that's really helpful as well. I love it. Well, I think this has given us plenty of tips to take and work on. Um, thank you for sharing these. If you have some time, I would love to dive into some rapid fire questions before we wrap up today's episode. Sure. All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? Okay. I don't usually keep songs on repeat. Um, well, actually I do, but I don't have a good one right now. So I, really the one I would have to say is Astronauts in the Ocean um, because we play it all the time before my daughter's soccer games. <laughs> so it's a perfect so pump a you up song. I love it. <laughs> Maybe it's we'll, a total we'll play pump it for, you up song. for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite place you have traveled? So I love about traveling is actually seeing new cultures and and just kind of that newness, which now that we've talked about everything in terms of getting to know people and building relationships, that kind of seems in, in line. <laughs> um, the place that I love coming back to is Paris. And I did live there, so I don't know if that totally counts, but um, I love visiting Paris. Happiness is waking up, feeling intrigued, going to bed, not depleted and wanting what I have. In the next five years, I hope to uh, travel to most, well, at least four corners of the earth with my kids. Um, and establish my new company, What If Why, as um, a force to be reckoned with for tackling persistent problems. And last question to me, curiosity is? Uh, hunger for learning and to really 
to satisfy curiosity, I'd say couple that with discipline for um, blocking out assumptions. Beautiful. Well, thank you again for taking the time to come on the show and share your wisdom with us. If people want to learn more about your work or are interested in getting connected with your coaching, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can look me up on LinkedIn um, and or visit my website, whatifwhy.com. Perfect. We will include those in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the episode. And I'm so excited about the tips you shared. I think they are easy to follow to the point and are like tried and true proven methods to work and, and make you one of the best data analysts out there. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Remember to stay curious and keep learning. And we'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed today's conversation on the Data Bytes podcast, we welcome you to continue the conversation and join our global community by becoming a member at womenindata.org. All Data Bytes listeners receive 20% off using the promo code DATABYTES20.